right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I'm joined, as always, by my bombastic co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I, you know, I am mercurial and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, I do state my opinions forcefully. So, but I, I, and again, it's too damn hot to wear socks. So the sock reveal today is, okay, magic internet money, the internet wizard. It's time to join Mm -hmm. us. I'm wearing the orange shirt. No, no pants. Okay. I mean, I have shorts on, but no pants, no orange pants. I was I was hesitant to declare the end of winter last week, but up fifteen percent, a mm. new, a third higher high, uh, no no uh, continued higher lows. Crypto spring is here, and uh, it doesn't mean we're going to all time highs anytime soon. But winter is over, and uh, we're back to back to the bull phase. So I should have, the adjective that I should have given you this morning is prescient because yeah, you did, you, you were on there. Let, let me uh, just poke you, uh, poke you there at, at this thesis because I, I would love to believe that we've re-entered spring. This would be a pretty short winter, right? And I'm remembering back to this period that you and I have talked about quite a bit, right? Like the, the, tw- the end of 2018 uh, type or the mid you know, to end of 2018 period where it felt like we were kind of out of the woods. And then there was sort of that big puke from six to three uh, or whatever it was for, for Bitcoin. So I, you know, is this kind of the, you're feeling confident in, in terms of the bottom here? Do you think it's kind of all up or do you think there's some, because the, the one thing that I still can't, um, you know, fully justify here is just kind of this horrendous macro overhang situation that we have. Uh, so uh, do you think it's kind of like spring from here? Do you think there's still more turbulence to come? Like, how are you feeling about the next six, 12 months? No, look, I, I think, again, very similar to that period in 2018, you know, we had the the drop, the steady drop from, you know, well, we went from 10 right. all the way down to, I mean, we went from 20 all the way down to eight, then we bounced to 14, then we went down and we, and we so it was basically 14 to six, kind of all during spring and summer, uh, physical spring and summer of 2018. And into the fall, we just hung out at six mm-hmm. and we made that descending wedge pattern and you just bouncing, bouncing off the six. Mm-hmm. And then, bang! November fourteenth, we were down the thirty. I mean, the fifty percent down to to thirty two hundred, and we hung out at thirty two hundred until December eighteenth. So about a month, and then we started up. And again, it wasn't straight up; it was mm. up and then down. But it was these ascending patterns. It was higher lows, higher highs, and it doesn't mean we we don't have roller coaster. But instead of the roller coaster being that that flat or worse down, it's these, it. you're basically like locked in the track that's that's heading higher. And and the real reason I believe that, that spring is here is we had the cathartic puke, right? And we, we talked about this, you know, six, seven weeks ago, whatever it was, whenever, mm. whenever consensus was. And you know, I, I kept saying, look, it's the longer we're at this 30,000 level, the the more likely we are to have that final puke to 15. And we didn't hit 15. We hit 17.5 or 17.6, whatever it was. Uh, that's good enough for me. So I, I I really do think from a the leverage is gone, the weak hands are gone, the sentiment is pretty negative. 
right? People are like, oh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's over. Um, it's not as, it's probably not as negative sentiment mm. as I would like to see it, right? I'd, I'd like to see like really people saying it's going to zero, going to zero, going to zero. And I haven't heard from Peter Schiff in a long time. But the, on the macro thing, look, you, you are focused as always on the question. And the question is, can Bitcoin do well? Can digital assets do well in a nasty economic environment? And let's let's remember that back in uh, 2018 into 19, uh, there was the threat of rising rates, and you know we weren't sure that that the economy was gonna gonna rebound. Um, you know, it did a little bit once they stopped uh, the threat of raising rates, but we weren't we weren't like really robust. But the environment that that's great for you know wearing the orange shirt is when there's easing and devaluation of currency, which is the exact opposite of what we have now. And I think that's going to end as people realize just how bad the economy is. And the the, you know, the central banks around the world realize, geez, we really are in a in a global recession, and and then, you know, once you start easing, um, and creating more money, then remember, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, but we don't price in Bitcoin; we price in currencies, dollars, yen, euros. Yen mm-hmm. continues to decline. You know, Bitcoin and yen making all time highs. Bitcoin Bitcoin and euros making all time highs. Dollar. You know, we've been we've been hovering, but I think yeah. I think we're headed. I think there's going to be a lot of liquidity created in the last in the next eighteen months. Yeah. Um, so I've I've got one follow up question for you there. So and maybe I could even get your perspective, just having weathered uh, definitely multiple cycles yeah. within crypto specifically, but also just multiple market cycles throughout your career as an investor. You know, we were kind of talking about this at our at our offsite. So I was just talking to we you know we had our Blockworks offsite for the week. We all went out to Denver. Um, and we kind of, Jason and I kind of kicked things off with the State of the Union and yeah. just talked about having gone through cycles in crypto before. And, um, you know, the one thing that I, you know, your comment there about almost wishing sentiment was like a little bit worse. The thing that I've sort of waited for is when no one, no one cares anymore. Like even this last, uh, you know, run up this, this past week, you know, you've got a lot of people kind of publicly cheering. Whereas if you go back to like March of 2020, Bitcoin basically went after that puke, right? When everyone panicked when COVID hit, it went from like, you know, 4,000 or whatever it bottomed out to all the way to like 12 or 13 before people even started talking about a bull market. So you basically, the whole market tripled before anyone even dared to yep. believe publicly, right? That we might be back in a bull phase. So that's the kind of like disbelief and disenchantment that I'd personally be kind of waiting for. But maybe, I don't know, maybe it just doesn't get that bad. But I guess I'd be curious to like get your kind of take on on that, but also just any like, for, for listeners out there, because there was a lot of concern, right, even in the Blockworks crew about, hey, uh, crypto's never gone through a bad macro cycle. Is it different this time? Is it worse? So maybe if you could weigh in on, on that as well in your perspective about this this cycle versus past ones. I, I think I think part of it is, and, and I'm not sure why people are so willing to switch narratives. So on on this thing about Worrying about the macro environment means people have started to believe this narrative that Bitcoin's a risk asset. 
and that it's correlated to stocks and it's just another speculative asset. It's not what it is at all. Now, we talked about this last week that, look, my personal pet peeve, and, and you know, I've taken a lot of crap, okay, technical term, in the past few weeks. Everybody's like, oh, you know, you suck and BlockFi and you, you lost all this money. I'm like, guys, I, I, I have had tons of losing investments in my career. I mean, tons. And I'm not proud of that. I mean, I'd, I'd like to win. I like to make money when I invest, but that's the nature of the beast. If, if, if you get upset about losing money, you're not going to make any money ever. And I, I'd, I've talked about this over and over. Winners in this business lose way more than losers because losers are so paralyzed of losing that they don't ever take any risk. Well, the winners just keep putting stuff on and you know have lots of wins. So I've had way more winners, thankfully, and I hope to have more than losers. But um, but I've taken all this crap about people saying, "Oh, you know, it's this speculative asset, and and uh, you know you need to take all your Bitcoin and and take it off chain and take it out of the lenders." Like, what are you talking about? Putting Bitcoin on a hard drive and bury it in your backyard is gold. We have gold. We, we don't need that, okay? What we need is a new monetary system, right? A better, more fair, more robust, uh, deflationary instead of inflationary monetary system, which is what Bitcoin is, right? It's programmable value. And it has the potential to displace the entire financial system, the rails, the savings mechanisms, the spending mechanisms, all of it. But that don't happen if we don't build robust institutions and stop with the tribalism and the FUD and the, oh my God, we, it, 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 it's, you just got to clutch it and never use it and never spend it. Now, that's stupid. And so that's a long-winded way of saying that I didn't answer your question, yeah. which is, look, um, I don't believe that Bitcoin's a risk asset. I just don't. I believe that it is a fundamentally different asset. It is 0.0 correlated to bonds over the life of the asset. It is 0.15 correlated to stocks over the life of the asset. And it's because its return is derived not from the things that stocks and bonds are derived from, which is GDP growth, interest rates, productivity, Fed policy. It's derived from millennial adoption, right? Young people saying, I want digital value by the technology itself, by regulation, and by, you know, usage and adoption. Mm. And so those things aren't impacted by macro, but in the short term period, when you have liquidation cycles, which we just had, and you had excessive leverage, and you did have speculators punting in digital assets. We did. And to those people, it is a risk asset. So that's the difference. The core community that supports it and, and drives the development are not punters, speculators, and degenerate gamblers. And that's the difference. So I, I think no. a bad macroeconomic environment uh, is actually needed. You know, we've talked about this. No one likes winter. No one wants to talk about winter. Well, yeah. we, you and I like to go to Colorado to ski like winter, but no one likes winter, winter, like where companies go down and you have to lay people off and, and the, the weak ones really, they actually die. And that, that's, no one likes that. 
but it's necessary. And we're finally at a point where the central banks are saying, yeah, you know, we, we propped up the environment for 14 years. We went 14 years without a recession. That is mm. not normal. Not normal. No, it's not. No. Um, there was actually a, uh, you know, I, I just to respond to, to two of those points, one, one thing that I've never really, I'm not sure if I agree with, right? There are like kind of two ideas about like where Bitcoin and where crypto as an industry fits in on the, on the kind of macro scale, right? And there's this, um, this narrative that for a, a while was, uh, you know, very seductive, which was Bitcoin is this kind of uncorrelated asset. And I think for most of its life, it has been. I think, um, and now people are kind of worried that, hey, you know, crypto looks very correlated to the NASDAQ. I think there's another, the other way of looking at that is saying that Bitcoin or like crypto finding a way to trade within, you know, relative to other uh, global asset classes is actually a good thing. It means it's being adopted, right, by the global class of investors. Maybe it's a little bit more speculative or risky than people would hope at this current time. Maybe Bitcoin versus crypto are actually very different assets and they're being treated as the same now. But I don't think that's ultimately that bearish, um, you know, for as, as an I think it's pretty bullish uh, that at least crypto fits within the, the framework, right, of different asset classes globally. Um, it's kind of a no, sign of acceptance I think it's a really good point, in my Michael. book. And I, I think the... I think what we're trying to to achieve here through adoption is use and 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 use mm. beyond just digital gold. You know, digital gold. Everybody says, "Well, you know, you, know, you got the you got the old guard, right? That is not the original vision." Mm. And they did a fork, and it's called Satoshi's vision. And then we got another fork called Bitcoin Cash. And those have really not had much adoption usage, right? Not that many people went that way. And, and everybody seized on this idea of well, digital gold, digital gold. Okay, fine. That is a perfect use case. But that's a use case, a, a, a single use case. But remember, gold has two uses. It's got its commodity use and its monetary use. So you can use gold and fill your teeth with it. You can put it in electronic circuits. You can you know, stack it up and, and uh, you know, use it in other industrial ways. But it also has this monetary value. I mean, I mean jewelry and, and stuff, you, know, you can mold it into other stuff. But, but it also has this, this monetary use. And better is you can take that monetary value and you can use it as collateral for other things, right? What do central banks do with gold? Okay, let's think about this. What do they do? They put it in vaults and then they create money against it through debt. That creates right. economies, right? They, they don't have no assets. Central banks have assets. Right. That's and historically they had all gold. Then they had gold and other currencies, and now they have this basket of, of assets. But they have assets. Now I would argue that their balance sheets look horrible at this point because they created too many liabilities. But Bitcoin has this ability to to be embraced and adopted by the people that make the economy, as opposed to just the speculative investors. And that's, to me, what makes the Metcalf's Law chart work, right? When we had Tim on, the reason that chart works is it, it really graphs the, the 
the embrace of users, like real people that, that put it in their wallet and hold it and use it and transfer it. And, you know, not, not in the Bitcoin pizza way, but in the, hey, I have value and now I can use that value. Well, how can I use the value? Well, I can use that value as collateral. I can use that value to swap value. Ooh, maybe I could even use the technology behind the value, like what Strike's doing, to transfer fiat on top of a, a better technology rail. And once more people catch on to that part, then we're off to the races. Like seriously off to the races. Once mm. people realize how valuable the technology is, not the asset itself, but the, the underlying technology, then it's really cool. I want to get your perspective here because I, I was reminded about this. Um, there was a, uh, there's like, you know, all, all the mainstream media uh, outlets are coming out with their own like crypto section, right? Mm. Like the Financial Times, which has been particularly tough, I would say, on, on crypto. Uh, you know, then they've got their own little, crypto column and newsletter and everything, but there was one from the Wall Street Journal. Um, and, you know, they're talking about, they're just getting to covering the three-year yeah. capital situation and all these liquidations and all that. And the TLDR, if you were reading that, was these liquidations might just be getting started. Like the dominoes might just, it's like, come on, dude, come on. It's just such horrendous come. But it, it does get me, there was actually a really good chart here, and I'll share my screen, um, with, that Arcane Research put out. This is pretty cool. This was um, Bitcoin liquidated by large known entities. And this is going back to May 12th of this year. Um, so you can see the largest liquidation occurred by Luna Foundation Guard LFG, right? That was the organization that was managing uh, the Bitcoin collateral for uh, Terra Luna. Um, and then you've kind of got, and I want to get your opinion on uh, this, my segue into talking oh, about Tesla I can't wait. and their sale of Bitcoin. Wait. Yeah, I, I, I knew, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on this. Um, so Tesla, uh, the purpose of Bitcoin ETF liquidation, three arrows capital, Celsius, other uh, wrapped Bitcoin related redemptions, three arrows capital related contagion. Uh, and then there's an interesting bucket here, public uh, Bitcoin miners selling in June and May and June. So almost 20,000 Bitcoin uh, in May and June being sold by miners. But first, um, let me zone in here and see what you think about uh, this Tesla sale, right? Because uh, it like Tesla's earnings came out yesterday, right? Or the day before? Um, and they announced they the, the lack of earnings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's well, what's your what's your kind of whole take with um, Tesla selling the desperate Bitcoin? people do desperate things, right? He always put the Bitcoin mm -hmm. on the balance sheet, not because he cares a shit about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. He put it on as a speculative asset, hoping, praying that he could make some money to cover up the fact that he has a company that doesn't. The company doesn't make money. They lose money on every car that they sell, right? They lose money and they will always mm -hmm. lose money. And they, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing Ponzi. I mean, it really, really mm -hmm. is. The only way it survives is by raising money, right? The only way it survives as a, as a business is by raising external capital. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I... Is you know, Jason Williams, my my partner, um, had this great line the other day. He says, you know, I'm just so sick of this. You know, people talk about, oh, it's environmentally friendly. Are you joking? Have you ever actually studied 
what it takes to create the batteries, what it takes to recycle the batteries. Let's, let's talk about that. And, and it was just really, really kind of funny. And, you know, he, 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 he went back at, at Elon where Elon said, you know, Bitcoin just hasn't committed to being environmentally friendly. And Jason went back and said, battery technology used by Tesla just hasn't committed to being environmentally friendly because it, it ain't. And so people have this mm. belief that they're saving the environment. You're, you're, you're not. And if you look at strip mining of lithium and, and all kinds of stuff and all the, the hydrocarbons and the, 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 the heavy oils that are used to ship that crap halfway around the world and the black, have you ever seen a, a tanker with the black smoke? It's because they use the, the sludge, right? When you use, when you refine oil into, you know, the light sweet stuff and, and the petrochemicals and there's this, this gook left at the bottom. And that's what they give mm. to ships. And they've passed some rules to make it a little bit less uh, noxious, uh, but it's still pretty bad. And there are no, there are no mm. Tesla battery powered ships or airplanes, by the way, uh, nor will there ever be. So um, yeah, Tesla stock's down a lot since whenever. It's up a lot since the beginning and people are still saying, oh, you're such an idiot. You just go, this guy is like, keep owning Tesla stock. I will never own it and happy about that. But he did. The reason he yeah. sold, the reason well, he sold I mean, is not because he gives a crap about Bitcoin, not because he had to sell, because he did not make any money again for a second quarter in a row, right? Without the mm -hmm. currency gain, zip, zilch, nada. Yeah. I, well, what I would say is he actually, you know, he's. If his goal was to spin headlines in a certain direction, I think he definitely achieved that goal, right? Because the the mainstream media headline is, uh, you know, Elon Musk, you know, it's, it's all the environmental stuff that he would hope, right? He sold Bitcoin because he unsure of the environmental impact, sold 75% of his holdings. And it's like, guys, he needed to post positive free cash flow for this quarter, right? Otherwise, Tesla was going to get smoked on the earth. But nobody, it's just funny to me, like nobody reported it like that. Um, can I actually lay a framework out for you that I don't, I don't really believe this, but like, let me, let me lay out this little observation. Um, two big transfers of wealth in the last century, right? GI Bill and March of 2020. GI Bill, right? This was post-World War II. This was when the government basically said we owe an enormous debt of gratitude to our soldiers who fought overseas, many of whom died. So we're going to help you guys out. And there was this enormous wealth transfer and it came in three ways. It was an investment in the young, right? The people that fought. It was an investment in education. It was an investment in housing, right? So really, really low cost mortgages. And then it was an investment in credit, right? So if you were, you know, a GI and you wanted to start a small business, they made it really easy. That led to this huge boom, right? In growth over the next 80 some years, right? And now I think a lot of the, the, the struggle that actually we're going through as a country is because of how successful that was and how those, those policies yeah. are now finally starting to roll over. Big transfer in wealth from the old to the young. Now, in March of 2020, there was another big wealth transfer. And it was from the old to the old. Because <laughs> when we went through this big trouble as a nation, right, what did they do? They pumped monetary stimulus in. They elevated the price of financial assets. They sent them going like that, right, which just made everything less affordable for all the young people. And you know what? It's funny. I tweeted this out and someone pointed out to me that not only is it, was it a trans, uh, transfer from the old to the old, but it was actually the same generation that benefited both times, 
because they were in charge. It was a transfer from the old. No, it's because I know. Dog, it's, 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 it's one of the best analyses I've ever heard. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. And it's, and it's because the mm-hmm. same generation was in charge, right? Have you seen yeah. the, 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 the video of Joe Biden at 35 making the speech? It's time to pass the torch. It's time to pass the torch, okay, to the old. I oh, no, it's amazing. He's 35 years old. He's actually got some hilarious. hair. And, and, uh, and he's saying, it's time to pass the torch. And they did. And they passed the torch to these, you know, 40-somethings, and they were in charge. And again, an entitlement, an entitlement is a promise you make to yourself that you don't fund and you ask your kids to pay for. That is an entitlement. So these people got in charge and they created all of these rules to benefit. Now, again, gratitude. I love the way you describe it. Okay. But it was to benefit and to create an environment I said, we went from being a manufacturing powerhouse to a consumer powerhouse. That's, that's what we do. We consume stuff, right? Like Biden said the other day, we're still the manufacturing engine of the world. Like, no, no, we're not. No, we're not. China is. And no. now China's shifting. See, this is a, China is going through their GI bill thing, not with the GI bill, but, but they are shifting from manufacturing to consumption. And they will go through the right. same that's process correct. and they will do the same things you said. They will invest in education. They are crushing it in education. They graduate four and a half million STEM engineers every single year. They crush it in housing, right? Really low interest rate loans. All, you know, people, you know, they build five cities the size of Philadelphia every year. Just, just think about that. Although I will say that their housing is less affordable than it is over here. There's a pretty stunning chart of like median income to uh, to yep. home price, and I thought it was bad in like New York and um, and San Francisco, but actually it's like Shanghai is right up there. Well, at the, at the top end, cities. it's the worst. But, You're absolutely right. But but yeah. for the masses, they have these massive communities. I mean, just huge, right. like scale that we can't even comprehend for the average worker. And and to your point, what they're doing is they're moving people into this consumption-based life. And they have 700 million people. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people. And, mm-hmm. and now you get that same generation of politicians in the US. They're just 50 years older. Literally, think about that. 35-year-old Biden to 84-year-old Biden. And yeah. he's still in charge. Well, he's not in charge. We've talked about this. Someone else is in charge. I don't know who. I, you know, I mean, I, I guess what, what and even even this framework, like, let's just say, I, the, the, the point is, you need to be reinvesting in the young and the youth. And like, increasingly, I'm just kind of seeing these, look, I, I just, I, you know, I've said this a lot, right? Like, I don't align, I don't really see myself aligning with any one party. What I what I kind of see happening is there's extremism on, on mm-hmm. both sides. And the way that I see extremism actually, like, uh, growing on itself is, each side kind of competes on the crazy scale, right? So side one does something crazy. And then, you know, the other side looks and says, that's so horrible. I can't believe that. We need to take a stand. And then more people grow on this side. And they're like, we need to fight fire with fire. And then they do something crazy. And then all the other people who were in the middle before say, whoa, I just can't get on board with that. And it's like, each they're trying to like one up each other on the crazy scale. And it's just, it's actually, you know, I hear people say a lot of people are moderate. There are more moderates than you think. I do fully believe that. But the political dynamic right now is one of escalation. And it actually, it's not this 
it's not this dynamic where it actually encourages people to be in the middle. It encourages people to. You know, to it's, a, it's to, an interesting point, Michael. I, I, I know, I know, I know the stat that we have the most polarization in politics in history. Right? It used to the yeah. record used to be in the twenties, and then post the depression, everybody kind of came back to the middle. Then we had the 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 trough of polarization and harmony around JFK, right? Right in the sixties and into the early seventies, and since then, right since. Kennedy got assassinated. That's interesting. Right? Since that, almost to the day, we've been going like this, right? We're going straight up to polarization. Now we have the highest polarization. Yeah. But it's an interesting point that does that mean that the whole curve flattened and the tails are really big? Or does that mean the curve went like this? And there actually are a lot of moderates. They just don't have a voice because they can't be heard over the tails. That's I what I think. It's a very yeah. interesting point that I, I would love to, to to do a little more research on and think about because if if it's this with just really loud tails, this can win, right? Just, just, there's more of us, right? But if it's if it's this where it's flat and it's a third, a third, a third, and the and these thirds, and you know, it's interesting. I think I think you're right because if you look at the numbers on the election, I feel like it was. Like when Trump won, it was like 26% voted for Hillary and 24 and a half or 25 and a half or something voted for Trump. You know, he won the electoral, but but there were 50 that didn't even freaking vote. And I'm like, oh. And, and to me yeah. that, like, I still believe in order to get your driver's license, you should have to vote. Like everyone should have to vote. Now, it should be as simple as pushing a button okay. on your phone, but... I've, I've got a question for you, because I, I also agree with that. Like, we have an enormous right and privilege here, right, that most of the world, most of human history hadn't had access to, right? You can vote people into power. Do you think it's actually a sign, a good sign, though, that when people aren't voting, mm-hmm. in the sense that, like, nobody cares, right? I, I, bet if you, I bet if you did ran some sort of regression, you would find that the times the least voting engagement were actually some of the most peaceful and best times because when shit is working, nobody really cares That's great. how That's it's great. working. They just, they don't want, they don't, they don't need to That's look great. under the hood, right? They just say, Hey, my life is actually going. And I bet, you know, on the one hand, everyone's like, okay, this is better. We've got more political turnout, blah, blah, blah. What that probably means is that people are less satisfied and they're like, Hey, something is broken under the hood and therefore I need mm, to get involved. And you know what else is funny just while we're, while we're talking about this, you know, everyone has their own, boogeyman. Everyone's got their own boogeyman and reason for why this, I've got my own boogeyman. My, my personal opinion is wealth inequality. I, that I think when people don't see the path for a better future, all of these things that wouldn't necessarily be huge issues become huge, huge issues because everyone's looking for somebody to blame, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people blame it on social media, which I find hilarious. Uh, I do, I do not agree. Um, I think if you go to the, the most polemicized generation, it is not the young people that spend their time on social media in general, it tends to probably be the older generation. But like everyone, everyone's got their everyone's got their own yeah, boogeyman for explaining why we're in this predicament. That we're very, in now, so. very compelling analysis, and and really, again, this is this is the thing that if if people who watch this, you know, take nothing else away, um, which you know possible. <laughs> what I what I hope they take away is that. 
what, what we all need to do is, is spend a little bit of time stepping back and asking questions, right? Because the questions are way more important than the answers. And, um, you know, it was somebody, it was funny. There was a, it was a comment in that, that was made and I don't know if he made it on the show or they made it to you and I saw it or something. And the guy was like, you know, you know that Yusko, he always sounds like the kid who hasn't done his homework. Because this isn't a presentation. It's not prepped. It's, it's, mm. it's live, right? I mean, we're asking questions and, and then we're thinking. And, you know, you don't like what I say. You don't have to listen. But, but I, I don't rehearse. I don't have a script. You know, you don't send me stuff to, I mean, you send me pictures to, that we're going to talk about. But the whole point of dialogue which is what I love about this. And, and, you know, you have this historical and, and philosophical kind of Socratic method of, of making it work is, is it forces us all. And, and what I really hope is that by the, when people get done watching, it's like when I used to give a talk and I would go in the restroom and I'd go in a stall and I'd close the door and I'd listen. And what I wanted to hear was people come in and I didn't want to hear, oh, that was awesome. What I wanted to hear was, that guy's such a dick. I don't, I, he's, he's definitely wrong. I'm like, hmm, really? And then I'd hear, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's wrong. Well, geez, I haven't really thought about that. Yes, that's the point. Let's think about it. Let's dialogue. I don't, want, I don't need you to agree with me. That, that's, not, that's what I care about. What I want you to do is go through this process of dialogue, debate, discussion, and, you know, you said earlier, you know, I, I disagree with you on that. Like, oh, how can you disagree? You guys are co-hosts. If two people always agree, one is unnecessary. We're supposed to find points of disagreement to then listen to the other person, not to persuade, but to learn. And that's why we have this, right? The reason we have the polarization is because people are so focused on listening to respond instead of listening to learn and then question and then contemplate. But everybody's bombastic and says, I know everything. I'm right. You should listen to me. You, sh you should have my opinion. Why? No, I should listen to your opinion mm. and I should seek opinions different from my own rather than stay in my echo chamber and ignore everything that I disagree with which is unfortunately the way we're going. Anyway, soliloquy. It is. I've got, I've got actually one, uh, we said we we're going to look for something optimistic, which is like a thinker, you know, to end uh, this. So I found this tweet that I just really liked. Um, and I thought it was very cool. Here, I'm going to share my screen. Okay. This just made me think. Um, so this is time spent. This is who Americans spend their time with by age. So uh, if you are following along on the trial, I'll summarize it for you. And I'm going to tell you when, uh, who by by your age demographic when your your time with relative uh, acquaintances peaks? So your family time peaks at less than fifteen years old. With friends, the time you spend with friends that peaks at eighteen. The time that you spend with coworkers peaks at thirty. With your children peaks at forty. With your partner peaks at seventy, and alone peaks at the end. So I don't know why this hit me, but I just thought it was a cool visualization and it was an interesting like way to follow your average you know your life spent uh in numbers and i, I don't know if anything jumped out at you uh, so many things I, little... I, I i love this 
so many things jump out. So one, um, the average four-year-old asks 200 questions a day. Mm-hmm. 200. Right? The average 40-year-old asks four. So think about that first stage, right? Here's, this is the sad thing as, as a parent, right? That you spend 85% of the time in your whole life with your children by the time they're 18. 85 percent it's like oh no and and, I know. and I know. But in that period when they are three four think about just the constant dad why dad why is it that way dad what that is awesome because you're constantly thinking you're constantly growing you're constantly searching and then friends you know i, I talk about all the time think of the five people you spend the most time with that's who you'll become. So choose wisely, right? Yeah. And there's a great, there was a great piece written by um, Carl, it was Rob Reiner and Carl, oh shoot, what's his name? The, 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 the famous older actor. And these two guys have spent, they're both in their 80s now, and they've spent, they said like some part of every day together for like 60 some odd years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are friends. And the idea that you spend, you know, your peak time with friends by the time you're you're twenty something, sad, 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 sad. So we need to re-engage with friends. We need to keep our friends close uh, and our enemies closer. Uh, the coworker thing, um, <laughs> and truly our enemies closer. That the coworker one is is very interesting to me because that goes to this whole idea of we were just having this debate on should we mandate that people come back into the office? And we actually are. We are and not, 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 you know, every day, but we're going to one day because the, I want two and, and the guy and my COO talked me down to, to one. So no, no, two people will be mad. I don't really care if they're mad, but okay, fine. And, but they're being together matters. It matters. I'm so on that page too. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to optimize for one thing, it should be time spent with other people. Honestly, I really fully believe that. We want to end on optimistic. So this is, this is an idea that I think is, is really optimistic is the saddest one is that pretty much seventies, eighties, nineties, you're alone. Whoa. We can fix that. Mm -hmm. We can fix that. Right. How about, Joint, and I know people talk about this, joint daycare, right? Where the aged and the young are together. Because why? Because the four-year-olds can ask the 200 questions. And guess what? The 74-year-old has a lot of answers because they live through it. And they get time and patience and love. And, and, and it's, it's this whole, look, I, you know, our, our um, daughter and son-in-law, and, and two, about to be three kids, yeah. moved back here during COVID. And when they lived in California, I was like, oh, it's fine. I go out to California. I see them once a quarter. Now I see them mm. not every day, but most days. It's way better. Yeah. And, yeah. and I walk in and, you know, my three-year-old and one-year-old, and my one-year-old's not quite talking yet, but, but he does. He's like, pops, pops. 
and he's pointing at stuff. And I go, okay, well, what do you want to talk about? And it's awesome. And, and I was given the great gift. Yeah. And, and most people know, you know, I have the two older kids and then I have the 11 year old. And my 11 year old, he and I, we play together. I mean, we game together. We go hike together. We play lacrosse. I mean, I'm doing stuff that I should never be doing at almost 60 years old. <laughs> I'm skateboarding. Yeah. I'm going to skate parks, which mm-hmm. I do wear a helmet. Um, but I, I just think it's such a gift and we need to get together. Mark, you know what gift I would like? A picture of you at the uh, skate park. I, that's what I, I, that's right, what I want. I, I, I am going to send it to you. I, will, I, will, I, I have it. I think it. we need this. I have it and I will send it. And nice. um, okay. I cannot do an ollie, but I, I can do the ramps. And uh, although I haven't mm. dropped in from the top yet, that that scares me a little bit. But um, that's impressive, man. I couldn't. I was scared to do that yeah. when I was a kid. I'm very, I'm genuinely yeah. really impressed. My, with that. my favorite thing cool. that, that I did um, learn how to do um, is where you you go up the ramp and you slide down and you're going backwards. It's called revert. So you're you're coming down the ramp and then you pivot so you can go forward. And the first time I saw mm. this, there was a, a guy who was teaching and he, he's, he's about my age and, but he, you know, he looks like Tony Hawk. He's my age, but he's, you know, he's got the vans and he's got the long, you know, baggy clothes and, and he's teaching this, this uh, mom actually. So I was like, you're I'm impressed. You're, you're out there trying to, you know, learn like your daughter. And, and he's showing her how to do this revert. And uh, my son and I look at each other. Well, I know we didn't pay for the lesson, but. But okay, well, let's try that. And so we're watching them, and and so we did, and you know fell down a couple times, but you know fall down seven, get up eight, and you know, now I can do it. And and actually, I went up to him afterwards, and I said, "Hey, do you have Venmo? Uh, so I want to send you some money." He's like, "Why?" Like because I kind of borrowed the lesson, and uh, so you don't have to do that. I'm like, "Yeah, I do," because um, you taught me something. So, but it's it's very cool, and doing new things is is cool too. Yeah, I would. I I have to agree with you. So, congratulations. Uh, I and I, you know what? That's such a nice way to end it because I I do. I think um, there's a lot that can be learned there. And um, weirdly, pairing the old and the young that would be like a really that's a very cool circle of life type thing. Like I my you know my mom my my grandpa was an amazing guy fought in World War II in Iwo Jima. You know, uh, which if you know World War II and various battles, it was like one of the worst. Uh, and you know he he never even told uh, my mom or I about this, but he did this interview like this local interview and he was like 85 years old and he's talking about his life and his experience in the war and finding out the war was over and going to marry my grandma and it was just like this unbelievable heartwarming video that you know I knew him for first you know he, he passed away when I was like 14 but I, he never told me any of these stories I learned so much I was just sitting there watching this video of my grandpa on YouTube with like 30 views just being like, what an amazing yeah. guy. I, and I just, I, it made me wish I had more time with him. Well, and, um, and to that point, it, but, it actually makes me think, and there probably is already this, this out there. Would it not be incredibly cool to have, you know, it doesn't have to be an app, but, 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 but it could be an app that, that did exactly that. Where the individuals, right? These people with this wisdom and this knowledge could very easily, you know, touch of a button, record these snippets and then send it to all their family mm. or their friends. 
wouldn't that be so cool? First of all, wouldn't that be nice? Second of all, you know, I wonder if that would actually be a very cool way that we could like smooth some of these, you know, we talk a lot about big cycles and a lot of that is because generational knowledge is lost. Wouldn't it be cool if we could find a way to extract some more useful knowledge from people who really been through it and lived through it? I think it would be the best be form of right, mining. Maybe we'll do, no, that'll be a side hustle with, with you. The best and form yeah, of exactly, mining. Right. exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I know we've run over on time here, Mark. This is, uh, this is really been a fun one for me. I will uh, see you here next week. That was awesome. And, and look, I, I, I love the, the thought piece at the end and, and, uh, and it, and it, it's, it's inspiring. Uh, so my inspiring yeah. co-host, uh, to, to get together with you every week and, and, and have these conversations. I appreciate it. And you know what? I'm going to let, shout out my grandpa, Judgy, RIP. I'm linking in the show notes this video of oh, my grandpa. Love it. There's like I, I 40 can't views. Wait. If you guys want to watch it, I give it a watch. Wait. It's no, an amazing wait. life. Yeah. I thought it was very cool. I'm actually uh, next next Friday, so I'll have to figure out if we have to do this on Thursday, but uh, or maybe I'm traveling in the afternoon. But anyway, I'm going to Oklahoma for my uh, grandfather, or for my father-in-law, not my grandfather, my father-in-law's 86th. Mm. And uh, I think wow. I'm going to try this out. I think we're going to get some video of of some of his stories because he has lots. And uh, do it. You know, he's popping on pops. We'll so put it on the, the show. Nice, nice. That's awesome. All right, Mark. As always, been been a lot of awesome. fun. I will see you uh, next week. All Maybe right. at a Have a good time, one. But definitely next week. All right. Cheers, my friend.